We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show. Glad to have you along. If you missed it at the top of the hour, Joe Biden has been diagnosed with COVID. The president who traveled to the Middle East, he traveled somewhere else right before that, too, because he had to come back instead of going to the Middle East. Was he in Europe for something? I think he was. I lose track of where the president is. Uh, Then he was in Massachusetts yesterday, standing on a barren landscape. Uh, Looked like uh, something out of Terminator 2. And now he tested positive for COVID. He has been vaccinated twice and boosted twice to grand fanfare. And he has said that COVID is a pandemic of the unvaccinated and that if you're vaccinated, you will not get COVID and you will not spread COVID. Uh, Both are what would have gotten you banned from YouTube had you said them at certain points on the calendar. Uh, Now uh, you can say them because they have been proven uh, unmistakably true. Uh, But the president is isolating. He's supposed to have just a runny nose, mild symptoms. He's getting the latest therapeutics. And, I mean, based upon what he said yesterday in Massachusetts, I suppose we should be thankful that he has COVID. Uh, What do I mean? COVID's bad. He's 79 years old. Why would I be thankful that uh, Joe Biden has COVID? Uh, Well, because uh, yesterday, if you listen to Joe Biden, he said he had something much, much worse. I just lived up the road. I just in an apartment complex when we moved to Delaware and just up the road to a little school I went to, Holy Rosary Grade School. And because it was a four lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't, for the longest time, Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Uh, Joe Biden did not have cancer. He does not have cancer. The White House made that clear yesterday. He had some skin lesions removed before he became president, uh, but not cancerous. So he never had cancer. Uh, This is a common theme for Joe Biden. He loves to exaggerate, and every exaggeration makes him look better than reality would make him look. He talks a lot about his son, Bo. We can all sympathize with a father who lost a son. But Bo Biden did not die in combat. Bo Biden came back, was working, got brain cancer, and died. Was it related to combat? Hmm, don't know. Joe Biden likes to paint that picture. He also likes to talk about his first wife being killed by a drunk driver. His first wife was killed in a car accident, not by a drunk driver. So every time Joe Biden talks about something, it not so surprisingly makes Joe Biden look better. Uh, The story of the uh, dastardly Delaware climate 
where it apparently rains oil at certain times of the year, uh, was told by Joe Biden uh, prior to his appearance in Massachusetts. It was told, in fact, in April. Uh, But in April, it resulted in a different uh, health dilemma. And when I went to a small little school, that was about uh, a mile from the apartment complex we lived in, and a little school called Holy Rosary. And I, you couldn't walk to school because although it was a four-lane access highway, it was just too dangerous to cross some of the streets. And my mother would get in the, And when it came spring, I mean, it came in the fall, this is the God's truth. Yes. And you get in the car, and there's a little frost on the window. Mm-hmm. Turn on the windshield wiper, there'd be an oil slick. Mm. Not a joke. Wow. I have asthma, and 80% of the people who, in fact, we grew up with have asthma. Amazing. Is that true? Well, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel uh, talking about Joe Biden's various health diagnosis diagnoses stemming from the same apparent uh, preponderance of oil slicks on his uh, Delaware windshield. Of course, the White House walked that back and said he means in the past. Well, in the past, the kind of skin cancer he had wasn't melanoma, wasn't life-threatening, and it shouldn't be referred to in that way because the state of Delaware deserves better. They've actually brought their cancer rate way down. They're number 15 in the country in terms of cancer deaths now, much, much better, and they deserve a, a pat on the back. But what's going on here? Look, he lost his son, Bo Biden, in 2015 to horrible brain cancer. He could be very emotional about that still. But listen, clinically, that would lead you to have cognitive problems, wouldn't it? It would lead you to have disorientation, confusion, uh, problems with thinking and, and, and executive function. And that's what I'm concerned about here. This president had two aneurysms clipped surgically. He had a bleed in the brain in 1988. He has an, an unusual heart rhythm. Not so unusual, but he has an irregular heart rhythm. And we heard last year on his physical that he has an irregular stiff gait. His gait is stiff. So where's the cognitive testing? Again, where's the neurological testing? I don't think he thinks he has cancer, but I do think that he made a fumble there that could mean something much, much more important. And I and the American public want to know. Yeah, the real takeaway from this is that Joe Biden in no way, shape or form can run for reelection in 2024. And it's also very apparent that he is not in the kind of cognitive condition that you need the commander-in-chief to be in. I don't think this is a recent development. And I don't think the fact that we have high inflation and a wide-open southern border, a fentanyl problem, we've lost respect on the international stage, we've demonized our domestic energy, none of that is a fault of Joe Biden being too old to be president. It's the fault of Joe Biden being too inept to be president. And I think his party knew that he was not up to the job. He was not up to campaigning for the job. Yet they put him in there because he gave them access to power. I don't think he's calling the shots. I don't know who is. And that's more frightening than a 79-year-old president having COVID. Is that we have a mysterious shadow presidency. Maybe a compilation of several people. Maybe a phone call here, there on certain issues to find out what we should do here. Maybe it's Ron Klain pushing the buttons as chief of staff. I don't know. But it's clear to me that this ruse is as unworkable going forward as it should have been deemed unworkable in the past. I do think Joe Biden will not finish his term as president. 
I expected that they would move to get rid of him sometime after the midterm elections because they don't really need him after the midterm elections. They need to audition Kamala Harris to be president after the midterm elections to find out if she can muster any enthusiasm on the Democratic side. Because if you wait until the campaign season in 2024, well, then it looks awfully bad if you steamroll a black woman vice president for Gavin Newsom or J.B. Pritzker to white guys. I don't see candidates through that prism, but the Democratic Party decidedly does. And so I think they need to give Kamala the bully pulpit of the presidency, the platform of the presidency, and put the burden of the presidency on her for a year or more to see how she stands up to it and to, in their mind, more importantly, see how America reacts to her as president. So I always thought Biden would be convinced to resign as president for health reasons, either immediately after the bloodbath he's going to take in the midterms in November or maybe in December, when because of Christmas and New Year's, the news cycle is not as unrelenting as it is at other times of the year, not to suggest that you could ever resign a presidency and people wouldn't pay attention to it, that you could hide it in a Friday afternoon news dump, but it certainly wouldn't get the same kind of scrutiny that it would get if you do it, you know, in the normal course of a period of time in America where the country's mind is not preoccupied with other things. January, I could see that too. You get into February, I'm not really sure Joe Biden makes it that long. So I, if I were going to establish an over-under on how long he'll remain president, and please don't bet based upon anything I say, but I really think January after the anniversary of his inauguration, the two-year anniversary of his inauguration, that might be where I'd set it. I don't think they want him to resign prior to being president for two full years. But I might establish the over-under somewhere in the middle of February. But I think this COVID diagnosis just proves that his time in office is certainly limited figuratively because people will look at him differently now that he has been vaccinated twice and boosted twice and he goes to Saudi Arabia and he comes back and he tests positive for COVID. It just underscores the fact that he is, in terms of the kind of robust health you want a president to be, he is frail. He is a very, very frail individual. And you see it every time he talks, every time he comes out and speaks. And you see it when he wanders off the teleprompter. He tells these tall tales like having cancer or having asthma or having hairy legs or taking on corn pop behind the corner of the schoolhouse or his dad talking to him about two men in love, whatever it is. It's uncomfortable to watch and increasingly depressing to watch. Told you yesterday about a shooting in the short north and a picture of a suspect. Glad to report Columbus police have that suspect 
in custody, 800 block of North High Street. The shooting was on Wednesday. Uh, the person shot staggered into the store and died. So they have that suspect in custody. Um, man in Linden thought it'd be a good idea to shine a laser at a Columbus police helicopter. Not a good idea. Not fun. And he's now charged with a felony. Charles Taylor, 43. Interference with the operation of an aircraft. That's a serious offense. So glad that those officers are safe. But it was not safe overnight in Columbus. No, we had four shootings, four different cases in four hours. We have a very violent city. America's cities are very, very violent. And it is often collected under the headline of gun violence. This is not a truthful way to characterize the situation. It is not gun violence. It is violence with a gun. But people are stabbed. People are beaten. People are human trafficked. People are dying of drug overdoses. And to just lop it all under gun violence does not begin to equate the degraded condition of, it's not just our inner cities either. It's all over the town. It's all over the country. It's all over the state. And I don't mean to make fun of something that is, I'm sure, well-intentioned and I'm sure uh, a heartfelt way. Everybody's got to plug in their own way. But there's a story today on 10TV.com, and they did a video piece on it too, about an international artist who has... I don't know if drawn is the right verb or whatever, a mural in the Short North Arts District. Uh, The gentleman's name is Kyle Holbrook, and he tells a story about how losing a friend when he was 14 years old to, here's that word, here's that characterization again, to gun violence. Okay? To violence with a gun, to inner city crime. And the story says that Mr. Holbrook has since helped to bury 46 loved ones, all victims of gun violence. Well, they're all victims of crime. And so what he's doing is he's drawing murals on buildings around the country to call attention to the problem. I do not mean this to be disrespectful, but this will have zero impact on the problem that he wants to solve. If paintings and murals and art could reduce violence in the inner cities, well then um, I'd be all for sculptures and statues and paintings and anything. But even if we could bring Bob Ross back to life and the legendary PBS painter could practice his magic across every building in downtown Columbus, Cincinnati, Dayton, Toledo, Cleveland, and elsewhere. I do not think crime in the inner city would diminish one iota because the issues are not a lack of art. The issues are a lack of adherence to tried and true policies that have impacted crime in the past. Oh, I know they're old-fashioned policies and they seem to some harsh and 
unforgiving, but I am a big proponent of something called accountability and punishment and consequences. The Democratic Party, and the reason I cite the Democratic Party is because who runs the city of Columbus? Mayor Andrew Ginther, a city council that is all Democrat. Joyce Beatty is the congressional representative from Columbus. She's a Democrat. Even in the Ohio House, which is run by Republicans, the city of Columbus is represented by Democrats. Okay, This is the same here as it is all across the country. I don't care if it's Baltimore, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, Milwaukee, New York. Pick a violent city. Pick any city. Pick any big city. And it will be a violent city, and it will be run by Democrats. And ever since the George Floyd incident, the George Floyd death in the summer of 2020, we have been told that cops are bad. Punishment is racist. And what has been the result of that? Well, more murders, more crime. And yet we persist with these playing around the edges policies like defunding police or more programs like midnight basketball and the like or murals on buildings in the short north. If this is Mr. Holloway, Holbrook rather's gift painting, fantastic. And I applaud him for trying to visit his gifts upon a complex problem. But I would suggest that if he told the story to people of the 46 friends and loved ones that he has helped bury, it would be more powerful than anything that he could paint. And you say, well, he's painting so that people will pay attention to him and he can tell that story on the news. Okay, I get on board with some of that. But I don't really feel like this is a story told on 10 TV that's going to make an impact with the people who need to hear it most. He would be better served to tell his story one-on-one to people in neighborhoods where it is not safe. Not just after 6 p.m., but at any hour of the day. So I would love to see And I hold out no hope, unfortunately, that the city will adopt practices and policies that have worked before. Like what? Like the so-called broken windows policing that Rudy Giuliani and and Michael Bloomberg, a Republican and a Democrat, were smart enough to enact in New York City. That's when New York City was a safe city. I have three girls. I would love to be able to take, in particular, one of them to Broadway. I would love to be able to take my kids to some of the cities that I have visited in my career, but I will not because Democrats and their policies have ruined them.